0: Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we get into relocation and inflation. Two things that might be on your mind if you're an investor thinking about retirement. Stick around. We'll get into it coming up next.
1: Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Kraftwerk Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Kraftwerk Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed. And please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions.
0: Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and colleague, Dan Maseka. Dan, great to see you.
1: Ross, great to see you as well. How was your weekend? It was fantastic.
0: You know, I got to tell you, I had a guest appearance on Market Foolery with Chris Hill last week, uh, and we saw a pretty meaningful spike in in the numbers of our listeners. And so, first of all, a huge thank you to to Chris uh, and to the folks that have joined our show and and uh, hopefully continue to listen. We appreciate you being here.
1: If you haven't checked out the episode, it's very much worth it. Market Foolery, check your balance or checking your balances. I think was the title of the episode. Ross, you did a great job. Oh, thank you. And I must say, market foolery is on my regular rotation. So it's a good listen. One thing I like about it is it's very much in the same vein as our podcast. It doesn't waste a lot of time, quick hitting information, and then it's over.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And he, he tends to be pretty topical and, and uh, you know, all over a bunch of financial news that, that uh, I think is important. So uh, definitely check his show out if you haven't already. And thank you again to Chris. To kick us off this week, we actually have a, uh, a listener email, which is fantastic. So uh, Ed writes in, and he had a question for us. Ed says uh, he's currently living in an area with a relatively low cost of living, Champaign, Illinois, home of the University of Illinois. Upon retirement, we're considering moving to my spouse's hometown, Portland, Oregon. Obviously, Portland has a higher cost of living than Champaign, especially in terms of housing. What advice do you have as we explore this option? Thanks. Keep up the great work. Well, first of all, Ed, thank you for listening. And uh, I think this is a fantastic question. And it lets me share what is one of my favorite kind of hidden gem resources uh, that that you and I use all the time as, as planners, Dan. And that is a website called bestplaces.net.
1: Yeah, I've been using that for a long time. And I, I used to think it was something that I found independently that no one else had access to or no one else knew to use. But Apparently, it's pretty prevalent, and and it is very helpful.
0: So bestplaces.net uh, is a website that has cost of living, and they, they've got all sorts of really interesting statistics, actually. They've got things on crime rates and and all sorts of stuff, um, But but their cost of living calculator is the tool that I use most frequently. And what it allows you to do is look at your city versus another one on a bunch of different individual, but very important metrics and housing cost, for example, and just overall cost of living uh, are, are a couple of them. So let's talk about some of the numbers between Champaign, Illinois and Portland, Oregon. Uh, the way bestplaces.net actually works is they will generally give you a comparison to the national average. So uh, a rating of 100 means you know right at the national average. So in Champaign, Illinois, your housing cost is at 60.5. so That actually means you're 40% below the national average in terms of housing. Median house cost there, $139,800. Portland, Oregon is at 181, meaning it's 81% higher than the national average. Median home cost, $419,600. It's almost exactly 3x. So a home in Champaign, Illinois is likely to cost about three times more in Portland, Oregon for about the same uh, level of property. So so you are absolutely right. Big difference there. Overall, the cost of living in Portland, Oregon is at about 31% higher than the national average, where in Champaign, Illinois, it's about 20% less. So what's interesting there is that not every category is more expensive in Portland. Things like Healthcare is about 15% less than the national average, where it's a little bit higher than the average in Champaign. Uh, things like utilities, 20% less than the national average in Portland, where in Champagne you're about 5% less. Uh, but this is a, uh, a a really great resource. I would encourage you to check it out so that you can look really at, a, at all of these line items because I think you're asking the right questions.
1: Again, that's bestplaces.net. It's great from a practical perspective if you're looking at a move, and it's also great if you're just curious as to how things are in different cities. Uh, you can get a lot of information uh, on really any city you can think of in the country.
0: Yeah, I mean, if if you're looking to retire from Champaign to Portland, um, you know obviously as a as a preparation, you should be expecting to spend quite a bit more if you're looking to make a lateral move into in terms of your home. If you're thinking that that's gonna come with a downsize, then what I would probably do is look in your home market at the type of thing you might downsize to. If you're going to go from a single family to a condo, if you're going to go, you know, whatever, if you if you just need less space, then I would basically take whatever the current value is and multiply it by three. So e- even if you're talking about moving to something that isn't equivalent to your current home, that same multiple is going to work in in doing the math. And um, so, yeah, that, that that's the first thing that I would do is kind of figure out, What's that going to cost to to secure a home in that new city?
1: So, general cost of living is important. And one big piece of your expenses in retirement is taxes. And that's really the next thing I would look at. So, while Oregon does come with higher overall costs, one small benefit that you'll get living in Oregon is no sales tax. So, depending on where you're coming from, you know, that could be a pretty significant savings over the course of the year if you're not paying, you know, another five, six, nine percent for everything you're buying.
0: So I actually went to the next layer there, which is looking at the income tax rates. Now, your retirement situation may be different, um, but if you've got IRA money or pre-tax money in a, in a 401k deferred uh, from taxes, which many people do, and that, that's a key component for a lot of people's retirement picture, you also should be looking at what is the income tax rate. In Oregon, you've got a tiered system uh, for the married filing jointly brackets, for the first $7,200 of income, you're going to pay an income tax rate of 4.75%. On the next uh, up to $18,100, you're going to spend 6.75%. And from 18101 up to 250000 it jumps to 8.75%. And then if you happen to be higher than that in Oregon at 250000 plus, you are paying 9.9% in state income taxes. Uh, which is in contrast to in Illinois, I believe it's a flat tax rate. Yeah,
1: I saw the same thing.
0: 4, 4.95% is the uh, individual income tax rate. That's on net income, and it's it's just a flat tax. Right, so there's a potential you
1: could be paying a lot more in state income taxes in Oregon, depending on where your annual income falls.
0: So as as a planner, the, the next thing that I would look at is what your income is today versus where we think it's going to be in retirement. If you're in high income years now and you're going to have a steep drop off in income when you head to retirement, maybe uh, you're not worried about that and you're enjoying the flat Illinois taxes right now and and the higher Oregon taxes won't be a big deal. But if you think that your retirement income is likely to be high, either because you've got pension payouts or all of your retirement savings is in those pre-tax plans, meaning it's going to actually take quite a bit of capital coming out of the IRAs to, to maintain your cost of living there might be an opportunity here uh, because if you're going to be in basically the same federal bracket you could get money out today again at that 4.95 percent versus what's likely to be 8.75 in in uh, Oregon during retirement so uh, I I would look at that that might be an opportunity for Roth conversions that might be you know ju- just an opportunity to take a look at where do you think your taxes are going to be both now and into the future.
1: And you certainly want to work with a financial planner on that decision. There are other things that could be impacted by accelerating money out of your plan. So you just want to make sure you're not focusing on one variable in spite of the others. You know, Funneling money out too quick could cause you to bump up on Medicare premium increases and other things that you just might not be thinking of if you're not looking at it correctly.
0: Yeah, for sure. De- definitely consult with an advisor or, or a CPA before uh, making any any of those types of choices. Um, but I, I guess I just wanted to to make sure that we took it to the next stage of not only looking at what's going to happen to your cost, but also what's going to happen to your tax rate. Because I think there's just a lot of opportunity that could potentially be found digging around in that set of data.
1: The last thing I looked at was the ultimate tax in Oregon, where they have an estate tax exemption only on the first million dollars, which is pretty low uh, nationally. So if you think that's going to be an issue and that might impact some of your Legacy plans or estate plans, you might want to address that if you think you're going to leave a pretty substantial estate tax burden to your heirs.
0: Now, if being in Portland proper is is important, you know maybe all of these things are just considerations and and it's no big deal. We go back there no matter what. The other thing that we see a lot is people uh, moving to the neighboring Washington state, which has no income tax. Um, so, if that general area, if just getting to the Pacific Northwest, is uh, the important thing and, and being within driving distance of, of family and friends in, in Portland is interesting, uh, it might be worth taking a look at Washington as well. Now, you don't have the no sales tax in Washington, right? They do have a sales tax in Washington, I believe. So again, it, it depends on uh, what you're going to do and, and what's most important to you. Uh, similar to what we said in last week's show, we don't want to let the tax decision ultimately drive our lifestyle. That's not how I want to live is, is planning taxes and then figuring out what I'm going to do as a result. But if you're going to be looking that way, it's worth at least considering all the options and, and what the variables are.
1: Now, Ross, as someone's planning a move to another state, do you have any other checklist items that you think are important to take care of from a financial perspective? So for example, if you have established estate documents, would you recommend reviewing them at those times or anything else in that vein?
0: A hundred percent, and I think we've kind of touched on on the major ones, right? I, I would want to understand what's the tax landscape that I'm moving to. I would want to understand what that means for for the planning that I've already done. Does it invalidate anything? And, and I think your your point on the Oregon estate tax is a critical one. Um, so so that that's that's what I would be looking for. Now, if if you've got specialty situations, you know, we've had some friends move to Colorado that have had to literally plan their route based on gun laws because they didn't want to transport a weapon through a state uh, and then be in violation because they were driving in the wrong place with the wrong thing, right? So there's all sorts of weird stuff that you can get into, but in terms of major building blocks that are going to apply to everybody, those are the ones that I would keep on my radar.
1: Yeah, and just to emphasize what Ross said a moment ago, you know, you don't want to let all these financial decisions impact your quality of life decision to move. If you're able to support it, that's probably something you want to do anyway. But you just want to make sure you're not getting yourself into something you're not prepared for. And in those few cases where that might mean the difference between a successful retirement, or one where you're not able to do everything you wanted to do, you know, maybe that's worth having a discussion about.
0: You know everything we're talking about here in, in my mind is really about setting expectations and and setting assumptions and and as financial planners, we spend a lot of time both talking about and thinking about what assumptions drive. I wanted to slide from Ed's question right into what I wanted to talk about for the rest of our show this week, which is inflation and how that impacts a financial plan because I think and I, I've said this before when we get into a financial plan with somebody, we will often have Information about their assets down to the penny, right? Exceptionally detailed. Pe- people are really, really good at accounting for where their money is, for the most part, uh, and and exactly how much of it they have. When we ask about spending needs, the numbers get a little bit loose, right? People are unfamiliar with their budget. Not not everybody, but but it's very common that people are much looser with their budget. And then, not only do we have that budget, but we've got to project how are those costs going to change right? And, and again, this is exactly what Ed's asking about is how are my costs going to change and what should I be preparing for? Well, those assumptions are going to have a big impact on any financial plan and what level of confidence it's going to give you uh, should be directly related to how good you feel about those assumptions.
1: Yeah. And, and small changes in those assumptions can have a pretty dramatic impact on a plan. Just to take an example on how changes in inflation assumption can impact the success of a retirement projection. I ran a plan for someone that I did uh, pretty recently and, and chose a couple different levels of inflation to see what that did to both confidence in the retirement outcome and spending assumptions. How much were they going to spend over a lifetime? So in this scenario, we have a couple retiring. They're expecting to spend $50,000 a year plus an amount for healthcare each year. That'll change over time. With the base level of inflation assumed at 2.25%, they had an 85% confidence that they could meet all of their financial goals. 85 is a really good outcome when we're doing financial planning. That that's right in the sweet spot, and we feel pretty good about that plan at that point. Their lifetime spending amount over their twenty it was a 28-year retirement time horizon, was going to be about $3.66 million. So cumulatively at 2.25%. That's how much they were forecast to spend with their basic expenses, healthcare, taxes, and all that good stuff. I increased inflation by half a percent to 2.75%, which I think by all accounts is lower than what people are talking about today. So still pretty modest. The percent confidence dropped by 13 to 72%, which is now closer to the border of what we're looking for. And the total spend over their retirement was closer to $4.18 million.
0: Wow, that's a big difference.
1: It's half a million dollars more over their lifetime.
0: Half a percent inflation.
1: Half a percent inflation. 14% more cumulative spend over their retirement. That's a big number. Imagine telling someone you had to save half a million dollars more when they were about ready to hit the retirement button.
0: So that's why we as, as planners, I think, are, are particularly interested in these types of numbers. and. Inflation over the last decade really hasn't been a big deal. Uh, it's it's been pretty modest, and e- since the the 2008 crisis, people have been projecting and predicting and and talking about how big of a concern this is. Uh, and then here in early 2021, we've seen a fairly robust uptick in inflation. Now, I'm kind of interested in this number because uh, for for obvious reasons that we're talking about. But does the long term outlook really need to change because we've seen kind of this this quick fluctuation, right? Should we be, as planners, adjusting long-term expectations because this year has been a little bit wonky while you've got weird slack in the labor force and then you've got weird pockets where, where you've got unemployment and then people that can't fill jobs, right? You've got a lot of weird things right now, shortages in certain supply chains that are really affecting, in my opinion, that inflation rate the bond market has a pretty good indicator for us on not necessarily, I'm not going to say that it's a good predictor. Uh, I, I'm not going to attest to its accuracy, but we can interpret from the bond market where it thinks inflation is going to be, uh, which is called the 10-year tips treasury break-even rate. This is an indicator that, that I look at and I, I think is really interesting because if you think about a 10-year treasury, uh, if you bought it at its par value, It's going to pay out its par value, and along the way, you're going to collect interest. That interest and the risk as a bondholder is inflation. It's that you're going to get your money back in 10 years, but that money is not worth as much as it is today. So what you're hoping for is that you're going to collect enough interest and income along the way to account for that risk that you're taking. There are also bonds that have a protection built in for that which is a treasury inflation protected security which you're commonly going to see referred to as a TIPS TIPS. If you look at the spread between the two of those, it's really telling you what is the bond market pricing in for inflation because I will require a higher yield on the regular treasury to account for that uncertainty, where on the TIPS bond it's got that protection built in, so I don't have to require the higher yield. So when you look at the break-even rate between the two of those, that is a fairly strong forward-looking predictor of what is the bond market telling us inflation is going to be. Now, right now, it's at 2.3%. That's the break-even. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking at this uh, pretty recently. Now, it ticked up earlier. Uh, earlier in May, that inflation rate, it looks like it peaked at 254 So as the inflation fears have kind of filtered through the market, they're actually coming back down now, that break-even rate. So what it is telling us is forward-looking, projected inflation, just using this metric, is around 2.3%, which is where we've been using uh, in our plans. Again, we've been using kind of a base case of two and a quarter. We've been using higher numbers, higher inflation numbers for things like education costs or healthcare costs, where with so many people entering retirement right now or retirement age, it's likely that healthcare costs are going to continue to rise faster than your other expenses, right? So so this isn't a one-stop, one-and-done, but I do think that's a really interesting metric. And I, I hope I explained it clearly enough that, that it makes sense uh, even without looking at this chart. But that break-even number between a TIPS and a Treasury, uh, I think is a really interesting indicator.
1: Definitely is. And and I think, regardless of what our beliefs for the future are, it is worth planning for very conservative and gloomy futures because you don't want to let that one assumption be the reason that you find yourself short of money in retirement. So, you know, the same is true for rates of return. I, I put them in very similar categories. Whether inflation is higher or your rates of return are lower, it almost means the same thing. You just want to make sure that that is not the point of failure for your plan. That you do everything within your control to get to a positive outcome, and that those, you know, will just be numbers running in the background, and you can still remain long-term focused.
0: Well, and and that's what's so critical is that we've got a couple areas where we can be wrong and potentially still get the plan right, uh, and. To, to what you're alluding to, Dan, I, I really think the most important number that we use as a projection is not the exact inflation number. It's the real return rate. So the real return is essentially how much are we growing your money, not us, but but in general, how much are you growing your money above inflation? So if inflation is 2% and you earn 7 your real return is effectively 5% if inflation is 5 and you earn 10, you've got the same results. You're growing your purchasing power 5% more than the inflation. As somebody that's entering retirement, this is why it's so critical that we continue to grow your purchasing power. Being a pure bond and cash investor in retirement is scary because those instruments do not keep up with inflation very well. And so if you're worried about inflation right now, we should be thinking about assets that are going to do well in an inflationary environment, or at least keep up, which in many cases, and in our our opinion, is going to mean having some equity exposure. Again, at the the same time, we don't want to put your short-term money at risk. So this is a constant balancing act. But that's why it's so important that we think about real returns, not just getting inflation prediction right if it's not two and a quarter percent over the next 10 years i don't care as long as we've got that corridor correct
1: right absolutely and that's trial and error right it's staying on top of your numbers periodically checking in on your plan and making sure that you're still pacing in the right general direction and like ross said if you have protected assets for the near term you have the flexibility to look long term for your investing and and that's really important both from a practical aspect because you know where your next money is coming from and don't have to worry about it dropping dramatically if the market moves. And from a behavioral aspect, it causes less stress when you do see market fluctuation, which comes all the time. And and you don't want that to be on your mind as you're hopefully, you know, living out your retirement dreams. 100% agree. If you're like Ed and looking at relocating for retirement, we'd love to hear about where you're planning to go to. There are some wonderful spots out there and in fact, just this morning, I, I saw for the first time where people are tuning into our uh, podcast from, and some of those make for really great retirement destinations. Ross, have you seen that list at all? Where people are listening?
0: I haven't. I, I haven't spent any time in in that data. I, I only look at the uh, the listen numbers.
1: Okay. Yes. So uh, the the first couple countries where we have listeners are as to be expected: United States, Canada, United Kingdom. We love all you guys, but no offense. Kind of boring. Next on the list, Germany and Cambodia. We have, did you know we have fans in Cambodia?
0: You know what? I did get an email that said that we were charting in Cambodia for some reason. So I I guess I knew that the podcast had been listened there, but I I thought that that was some weird like data anomaly.
1: Well, we appreciate all of you in Cambodia. Uh, Also on the list, striking me uh, as a strong retirement destination is New Zealand. Uh, we appreciate all of you in New Zealand. And I hear it's beautiful. And I may need to check it out and, uh, and plant my roots there for 40 years
0: down the road. Let's take this show on the road, Dan. We can do a, we can do a world tour in the name of our podcast.
1: Sign me up. Let's pack the bus and just uh, and start driving and see where we end up.
0: Sounds like fun. Well, if you're thinking about relocating in retirement, we'd love to hear where you're thinking about going. Shoot us an email. at outlook.com is the email address for our show. We appreciate everybody tuning in this week. We'll catch you next time.